Good morning, Reading Family Church. Great to see you. This is quite exciting, isn't it? Sitting down preaching with my lovely wife. What a result. Result for the boy. Uh, If we've not met before, my name is Sean and this is my wife, Liz. Uh, We've been married for 25 years. If you can flick up the photo. When you've been married for 25 years, come on, bring it on. I knew you'd laugh. I knew you'd laugh. Our photo album has a padded cover, and we've only got 30 pictures in there separated by tracing paper. That's how long we've been married. Some of you thinking, I have no idea what that means. If you've been married a while, you know what. Look at your grandparents' books. We're kind of in that sector now. Uh, You are, I'm not. Thank you, darling. Uh, We've got... Three children, our oldest uh, lives in Bermondsey, he's part of the church there. Our oldest daughter got married last summer, she's in a church uh, in Birmingham. And our youngest daughter, she's just finishing at A-level, she's out serving youth this morning. And we're continuing in our sermon series in the book of 1 Peter, we're looking at chapter 3 this morning. We're going to team teach it uh, together, hence we're both here online I I trust you're well in Christ. I'm looking before a room full of people. Uh, We are looking forward to having you back with us. It's not quite the same, I know, but we love you. We for you. You're in my and Liz's thoughts regularly. I really want to give you a warm welcome on a Sunday morning. The room's still well ventilated. God bless you. We hope to see you soon uh, in the coming weeks or months. Uh, If you remember... For the last uh, few months, really, in the book of Daniel and the book of 1 Peter, we've been learning that God's people are supposed to be living distinct lives. Because we know we're exiles, we're aliens, we're strangers. There's something about us that's supposed to look different. What we're really saying is that our heart for God and our faith in God propel us to do things that just look different. And the reason I'm saying that is today we're going to be thinking about marriage. The passage we're looking at in 1 Peter chapter 3 is addressing marriage. And so we need to, uh, to cue that up by saying that how you read Genesis chapter 1 to 3, those creation accounts are really important for reading the whole Bible and particularly understanding the marriage relationship. You see, marriage is more than just a man and woman finding each other and God providing children through that. It is that, for sure, but marriage is way more than that. Human marriage relationship is effectively, it's echoing the relationship between Jesus and the church. Uh, That's what it is. It is effectively, it's a human relationship that is proclaiming. It's a gospel proclaiming relationship. It's a gospel proclaiming relationship. That was always the intention for marriage. And this morning we're going to be looking at some marriage principles and how marriage is outworked will look differently from couple to couple. So Liz and I's marriage, how we outwork our principles are tied with our our stage in life, our our character traits. But the principles can be outworked by everyone, even if your marriage relationship looks different. And if you're here this morning, you're thinking, I'm not even married. Do I switch off now? Please don't do that. The truth of the matter is we are a community of people. We are growing. And how each of us lives affects one another. When you make decisions and choices, those around you look at it and it affects the decisions and choices that you make. 
Now, if you're single here this morning or you're divorced or separated, whatever it is, we want to say to you, will you help the marrieds in our church play our part well and ensure that the marriages here echo more than just romance and raising kids? If you're single or divorced or separated or widowed, will you help us who are married ensure that this echo of Christ in the church is rung well in the marriages amongst us. We need you to help us so we don't focus on romance and child rearing as important as those things are. So if you uh, turn in your Bibles, if you turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, it will come up behind us. And Liz, I believe, uh, are you going to pray before we get going? Or is that me? You can pray. Holy Spirit. We are so glad that when we gather in the name of Jesus, when chairs are put out, PA is set up, kids are looked after, you turn up not just in the kids group or amongst our young people, but in us as adults as we sing our songs. Will you continue to bring life to us? Would you illuminate the scriptures as they're read out and explained by Liz and I? Holy Spirit, keep your work of renewing our minds, transforming our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, do something new in us, I pray. Amen. Amen. Right, let's read God's word together. 1 Peter 3, we're going to read from 1 to 6. Likewise, wives, be subject, or often it says submit to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." Well, this passage is amongst those that raises a lot of questions about meaning and relevance. And it's important, therefore, that we understand the cultural context of family into which Peter writes, because understanding that will help us to work out how it applies to us today and just how radical Peter's teaching was when he wrote that to the first audience. So under Jewish, Greek, and Roman law, women had little to no rights. And till she was married, every woman was under the power and authority of her father. When she got married, she then transferred that power and authority to her husband. She was subject and under the rule of men all her life. Roman husbands had authority to demand of their wives pretty much what they wanted. They could divorce their wives for little to no reason. And in fact, men generally had the right to demand of anyone who was lower in status whatever they wanted. So if a husband became a Christian, he would have taken his wife and his family along to church with him. But if a wife became a Christian, which is what Peter is kind of addressing here, she had no such ability to exert any kind of influence over her husband. And it's into this culture that Peter says wives are to submit to their husbands. 
Think about what it was like for that original audience. Women who had heard the message of Jesus turned to him, who lived in a culture with no rights themselves, were being instructed by Peter to, in faith, willingly, out of choice, submit themselves to their own husband's leadership including to husbands who didn't know Christ. Radical teaching. Peter was instructing these wives to submit to their husbands as an act of faith, an act of their faith in God, faith that overflowed from the love of Christ and their trust in the God who they knew loved them. They were being called to trust God's good design for marriage and his ability to work for them as the wives and in their relationship. Now, Peter's words were obviously written into a very different context than we live today. But that doesn't mean that 2,000 years later we can just dismiss what he says. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. And so, therefore, we always have to ask... What did it mean to the original audience and how do we now apply those principles to us today? That's the fundamental on interpreting scripture. Now, Sean and I are very aware that the word submission in the use and context of marriage immediately creates grimacing and questioning within us today. There's a few out there now. You're trying not to catch my eye. I can see you're wriggling already. We know that culture considers submission archaic, demeaning, disempowering. It has connotations of inferiority, being a doormat, having no opinion. And yet the Bible clearly uses this word. We can't Get away from it. So why does Peter say to wives to submit to their husbands? And let's be very clear. This is wives to husbands. It is not all women to all men. It is not a woman to a man. It is a wife to her husband. We're talking about the marriage relationship. Peter, it seems, is confident that in the economy of a marriage... This is part of God's good design. This is God's design for how a wife's relationship with her husband in marriage will work best. Now, most of us wives push back at the idea of submitting, don't we? Because our natural inbuilt tendency is for all of us to resist all authority. It's one of the huge consequences of the fall. When man rebelled uh, in the Garden of Eden, that's what we did. We pushed authority. How dare God tell us what was right or wrong? Humanity doesn't want to accept that God has the authority to do that. And more than ever, we do not want to accept this instruction on married life. But submission does not mean surrender. Peter is not telling wives to throw up their hands in surrender, suddenly not to have an opinion, or, not to, or they, they have to agree with everything that their husband says. It doesn't mean being subservient, so an unquestioning obedience to husbands. 
It isn't leaving your brain behind and meaning like you have no influence on the conversations or how your life works. Submission is a willing yielding to a husband's leadership with whom a wife is totally equal in honor and value before God. I want to say that again. Wives are totally equal in honor and value before God as their husbands. It's a being a willing encourager to your husband's leadership. And submission is a response. It's not a role. It's a response and not a role. Once married, a wife doesn't pick up the role of submission, but she's called to respond to her husband's leadership and submit herself. It's a heart response. Her role, like every other person created, is to be fruitful and multiply, and that means far more than having physical babies, ladies. Be fruitful and multiply and to rule and subdue, which is God's mandate for every person created as he laid out in Genesis 1. A wife's role, just like her husband, is to bring the kingdom of God everywhere that she goes and touches. Actually, submission demonstrates a strength of character. Not always responding and wanting your own will is strength of character. Parents, think how proud you are when your children don't um, exert their character and prefer somebody else's needs. We like it there, don't we? Submission is also not a demand that a husband can place on a wife. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say that husbands can command wives to submit. It is a willing response by her, a wife to her husband because of her confidence in the goodness of God. Submission is an act of faith overflowing from our love of Christ and our trust in him that his design for marriage is best. Now, Sean and I have tried really hard at working this teaching out and because we talk so much and Sean has really worked hard on the husband side of this teaching which we'll go into in a minute I would say that in the 25 years that we've been married there's only been one occasion where I've had to submit in that Sean has had to make the final choice on something it was to do with some money and how we were spending it the bigger thing for me was probably about 12 years ago, we were at the kitchen sink together. Uh, Sean was washing up, I was drying, and I had an epiphany moment. I can't remember the full details. We were talking about the discipline of one of our children. But I realized in that moment that I needed to trust God more than I trusted Sean. I had a sudden lightning bolt revelation that submission to God... Submission to Sean, sorry, was a trusting in God issue. Did I believe that God's instruction to submit to my husband was wiser than me trying to fight to get my own way? Could I trust God over and above my wisdom and how I thought it should be done? My biggest issue in that moment wasn't whether I was right or wrong, 
but could I trust God to lead Sean on this issue? Now, I want to be very, very clear that when we talk about submission of wives to husbands, it does not apply when it involves sin. When it involves manipulative or controlling behavior, if that is the case, wives, you are not to submit. And stronger than that, if you are in a relationship that is violent or oppressive or there are patterns of immoral or addictive behavior, we want you to help, seek help immediately. Please tell someone. Please tell us. Go to the police if necessary. Peter is not condoning sinful behavior. And in no way can this passage be ever used for any guys for such a sinful practice. It can never be used by a husband to say, actually, you're told to submit. That is not what Peter is saying. So submission is an act of faith overflowing from our love of Christ. And Peter points to faith that is demonstrated by a gentle and quiet spirit, a steadfast trust that is inclined faithfully, a heart inclined faithfully toward God. And Peter contrasts the outward adornment of beautiful hair and jewelry and clothes, which will ultimately fade and decay, with the imperishable beauty of confidence in God. Ladies, he is not saying don't wear makeup or make yourself look nice. Neither is he saying that your outward personality should be quiet and that we should all just whisper with one another. <laughs> He's differentiating between an outward beauty that is fleeting and a woman who fears the Lord, who trusts God and puts her faith in Christ. And he calls out Sarah, a character that we read about at the beginning of Genesis in the Old Testament, as a woman who demonstrated this beauty because of her heart and trust in God. Does anyone else find the use of Sarah as an example very strange? I mean, she didn't always believe God, did she? She certainly wasn't in faith that her aging body was going to receive a child, so much so that she gave her husband to her maidservant to have a baby through him. Sarah was not faultless, and neither was her husband, but she's called out as a woman of inner beauty to be emulated. And in Hebrews 11, she's amongst those of faith um, and called out there in the Hall of Fame. Sarah didn't always trust God. She wasn't always full of faith. But then neither was Peter who wrote this book. But that, I think, is the point. That's why Peter calls her out. She journeyed. She grew in faith. She grew in trust. Sarah had longed for a baby, and eventually God gave her Isaac. How did she allow her husband to take her child up a mountain to be sacrificed if she hadn't grown in faith? She submitted herself to Abraham's decision ultimately because she had grown in trust and submission to God. Submission in each and every area that Peter's talked about so far in this book, authorities, uh, masters and now wives 
It's ultimately a faith issue. Submission of a wife to a husband is an act of faith. Faith in the goodness of God. And like all faith, Peter, I think, is encouraging us that we can journey on this and grow in it. Just go back to that moment on the sink. Liz still thinks she had the better discipline strategy for them. Is that true, Liz? Yeah. And that moment um, in our marriage where we were just talking about how we're going to use some money and we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We just couldn't decide and we had to make a decision. So I had to step up, make the call, and I made the wrong one. And uh, Liz has never come back on that and she's never held me to that or I feel like my trust is eroded. So it's messy. I'm just saying it's a messy thing, but we're trying to work out. We're trying to take the Bible seriously and work it all through. Let's progress on to verse 7. Likewise, husbands, all the men in the room, lean in now. All the women in the room, start taking notes. <laughs> husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. If we could leave that verse up, please. Liz and I initially we wondered, why is there so much instruction for the women relatively in this short letter? And for the men, uh, the husbands, we just get one verse. Well, we concluded that most likely the radical message of the gospel to wives just needed, they needed more help as they wisely unpacked and stepped into the freedoms that Jesus gave them. Whereas the husbands, they just need to dial back what they were doing. So most likely, we think the women needed, uh, the wives needed more help and encouragement as they stepped into the freedom. You see, in those times, husbands could mistreat, I mean, it's horrific when you think about it, husbands could mistreat their wives and their children uh, with no recourse. No one would call them on that. But now they've become followers of Jesus, everything has changed. And it is a profound shift. So Peter continues, in the same way, these acts of faith for wives, likewise, husbands must too now step into this complementary union. So just as a wife must exercise faith, it's a faith issue, and be willing to submit to a husband, so must husbands now, complementary, also exercise faith and honour their wives. That means less, its impact is lost in this culture where we understand these things so much better now. But for those original hearers, this was, I've got to honour my wife as a husband. It was a radical departure from the culture of the day. Husbands are being called to live with their wife in an understanding way. Husbands have been called to live in a way that's considerate of his wife. To live with her with a much greater degree of understanding than he'd had previously. And this understanding included the understanding of marriage. This echo of Christ in the church. To, to realise that their union was to be an echo to a watching pagan world of the mystery of the union of Christ and his bride, the church. But it was more than that. 
It was also an understanding of his wife, which most likely he's not considered before beyond their beauty, her aspirations, your wife's fears, an understanding, a growing understanding of her strengths and her weaknesses of her personality, if they had such a concept then. I don't know what they would have used then. It's a very Western thing. But her personality and, shockingly, her preferences. That he would have a growing understanding. This is the preference of my wife. But it was more than that. It was also an understanding of their marriage context. Their age. And their stage in life, I guess whether they had young kids, older kids, what help they had in their household. Remember, it's different from our context here. What about their family situation? Health issues of their wife. Their finances. Their responsibilities, short and long term. How does that play into a growing understanding of my wife and living considerate given these ongoing short or long-term responsibilities and opportunities that they were having as a family, but particularly for the preference of their wife? These have been huge ways of thinking. This is what this being considerate and growing an understanding undoubtedly would have meant. You see, husbands, if you're a guy in the room and you aspire to be married or you are a husband, we are supposed to be acquiring and growing in our understanding of our wives so that we live considerately with them. You see, husbands were supposed to be showing honour to their wives. Not honour to their household or honour to themselves, but showing honour to their wife. You see, the Bible consistently, consistently shows us that God always works to bring honour to those who have less. That's all through the Bible. And this value is turned up by Jesus and his apostles. And I'm guessing that's why Peter is calling husbands to show honour to their wife. Remember, wives in those times, we've had very little honour in society, maybe even in the family home. And how could this be done? I'm guessing honour is expressed by making the wife the priority. I want to say that again. Honour is expressed, husbands in the room, by making your wife the priority we're making choices about how you use time and how you're using finances. I'm trying to catch husband's eyes in the room. These are complementary acts of faith. Complementary acts of faith. Wives in the room are thinking tick, 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 aren't they? So this is the moment in the preach where we can have some uh, wives nudging. And husbands, you have to respond to the nudge, not just ignore it. Because these are your moments. Husbands, honour is expressed by being respectful. And when I'm saying respectful, I'm thinking about tone of voice and timing 
and using kind words, not words that work with your sporting buddies, words that work for your wife. That's how honour is expressed, by being respectful. Honour is expressed by listening. I read recently when people just want to talk about the relationship, the relationship is talking. That is the relationship. Honour is expressed by listening. Honour is expressed by not interrupting or assuming you know what she's thinking. Honour, husbands, is expressed by valuing her opinion. Honour is expressed by receiving challenge from your wife. And honour is expressed by apologising quickly. Husbands, I want to say that again. Honour is expressed. I find that hard because I often think I'm right and I'm not always right. Honour is expressed by apologising quickly. And I just want to be clear again about honour. The honour or the preciousness of the wife is not because the husband bestows honour and preciousness on her. Let's be really clear about that. That's not what's going on here. What's going on in here is the husband is recognising the honour and the preciousness that God has placed on her. You see, the husband is given the high privilege of heralding, of recognising, of expressing the honour that God has given his equal partner in this gift of life. And the truth is, I fail at this regularly. Uh, if you've been around me and Liz, some of you have for 20, 25 years, you know I've failed at this more in the past, thankfully, than I do now, but I still fail at this. Uh, I seem to regularly get my tone wrong. I still interrupt Liz. It's one of the things I'm trying to work on, to stop interrupting. Adam, what are you saying? <laughs> She's good, eh? The truth is, I do stop living considerately of Liz and her preferences. I, I do do that. Effectively, I don't reflect the perfect husband that Jesus is of the church. And that is my job. That's what I am supposed to be doing. Both Liz and I, therefore, need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And I would say, if you're a husband and wife, you need to preach the gospel to each other every day. Because this complementary relationship echoing Christ and the church to a watching world is proper hard. If any newlyweds in the room, give me a thumbs up if you agree with this. Those who have been married for decades, put your hands up. I know you agree with me. Yeah, come on. Come on, this is hard. But this is our high calling. It's more than romance and children. It's Christ and the church. That's what we're echoing. That's what we're modeling to the world. They're seeing the gospel in our marriages. Peter goes on to say, to honor, honor to the woman. I just want to say again, her femaleness alone should elicit honor. The fact that she's a female should elicit honour. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Here we go. Male and female, he created them. 
femaleness alone should elicit honour. Peter writes on and calls that the female the weaker vessel. Both male and female are created beings, they're vessels, and as such, both have a fragility. We're like clay pots. Uh, We are both created and we both have a fragility about us. So the wife being the weaker of the two shouldn't carry any derogatory nuance. Whilst women tend to live longer than men, typically women are muscularly weaker. Hence, in elite sports, we still have gender distinctions, don't we? In elite sports, darts is different. I'm not quite sure darts is a sport. But, uh, but you realise that women are now competing equally with men in darts, but certainly on track events and rugby and things like that, often men are muscularly stronger. But I just want to be really clear, whilst that is true muscularly, it doesn't mean, I want to be clear on this as well, that women are weaker intellectually, clearly not, are weaker emotionally, clearly not, They are clearly not weaker spiritually, just from the contributions this morning demonstrate that. Wives are able to make decisions and bring wisdom to all situations. They also have as much understanding and insights on issues as their husbands. That is just a given. and We're not even contending for that. That's just true. And they are heirs. And Peter writes on... The context is stunning locally. They are heirs with you, he's telling the husbands. The strength of that is again lost on us. Typically, the son or the firstborn son in that culture would get everything. It was all about the firstborn or the sons. It was never about the daughters. They would only inherit if there was no sons or, or, or uncle's sons. Now suddenly... Husband and wife are joint heirs. The weight of this is stunning. And finally, husbands, dial in on this. Thinks about the prayers. The prayers Peter has in view here are the husband's prayers. God's concern that wives are honoured is so important, God's going to turn down your vo- the volume on the husband's prayer life if it's not right. Put it another way, no husband can expect to have an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding and a considerate way. Over to you, honorary wife. (laughs) Uh, We're going to skip through the last verses. It was a significant passage we had to go through. So 8 to 12, we're going to pick that up. It's going to come up behind me. And... Peter's talked about uh, submission to authorities, masters, wives, and husbands. And now he says, to the whole household of God. Finally, all of you, this is directed to the whole church, have unity of mind. That means a common, common understanding of truth, of the things of God. Set your minds together on the things that are above. Have sympathy That means we're to enter one another's worlds, to mourn with those who mourn, to uh, celebrate with those who are celebrating. We're to love with the depth of family, have brotherly love, Peter said. Well, that's what we are, aren't we? Brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to treat one another as if we were physical family. 
We're to have a tender heart towards one another. Kindness, compassion. Jesus showed what this looked like in the parable of the good Samaritan, didn't he? And have a humble mind. Not consider ourselves better than others. In fact, the opposite. Consider others better than us. Esteem one another. What a high calling the body of Christ is invited into. So he's given this things, things to do, five things to do, and then he gives an opposite, what we shouldn't do. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling. That means criticizing in an abusive or insulting way. Do not repay it, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you might obtain a blessing. So Peter's saying, if you receive evil respond with good. If someone's unkind, you be kind back. And actually, you are storing up for yourself an inheritance of blessing. And then Peter finally quotes from Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, that's definitely me. I think it's probably all of us. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let your speech be kind and life-giving wherever you are. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Peter's calling the church to do good, to be kind to one another. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, he said, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is for his people. God is for his people. And it matters how we live. It matters how we demonstrate who God is as we interact with one another. God's face is against those that do evil, but his ears are open to the prayers of the righteous, the community of God as we love one another. So as we kind of come into land now, we're aware, now this is the Bible's teaching, it's not Sean and Liz's teaching. We're faithfully, you know, working our way through the book of One Peter, which means we've just got to handle all the passages that are in there. So we are thinking of Peter's teaching on wives submit and husbands give honour. Just want to say it's not based on feelings. This teaching isn't based on the quality of your spouse or your perception of the quality of your spouse. This is about having faith in God's good design for marriage. And Liz and I guessed, and we're not stupid, we know that some of you are like, internally you're screaming inside going, ah! And even now we're finished, you are massively powered up inside. Now, we get it. You know, no, we get that. That inner angst you're registering could be for many reasons, but we came up with at least two in the interest of time. Number one, you just simply don't believe this could be God's good design for marriage. You know, the, the language of submission, you love all the honor stuff, but the language of submission still feels, for you, culturally unpalatable. Now, if that is you, you can take comfort in Sarah, as we've talked about earlier. This is something you can journey on like Sarah in a marriage with Abraham. I mean, it was a horrible marriage if you read it through. Yeah, it was just horrific, some of the moments Abraham let Sarah get caught up in. 
but it's a journey. And their marriage finished in a very different relational space than when they started out. It's a faith issue. We journey on this stuff. We've been on it for 25 years. We can testify this is God's good design for marriage. It's a faith issue. It's what we think the Bible teaches. That's what we're teaching this morning. Secondly, if you're kind of all powered up even now, you're going to come see us at the end. Or maybe you're just going to walk out and never come back. God only knows. This is the Bible's teaching, not ours. We want to be faithful Bible teachers. We talk about the Bible as the plumb line in this church. That's what we're building on. We can disagree about Bible passages. We can look and talk about this. But I want to hear Bible, not culture. We, talk, we disagree on what the Bible is, not on what you think culture tells us the best blueprint is of marriage. That's, that's the conversation we're having in our church. So the second reason is, the, I just want to be really clear. You're powered up. We just want to say this. The Bible is not asking you to submit to your husband if he is asking you to sin or is committing sin against you. Do not submit to your husband in those circumstances. Husbands, if your wife is sinning against God, if your wife is sinning against you, you cannot honour that. We've, we've sat with husbands who are being physically abused by their wife. You know, that we, they, he cannot honour that moment. That does go on. It's less common because of the muscular strength of men, but it does happen. We're not asking you to honour that. If you have been or you are being abused by your spouse, and that's why you're powered up now, or you've seen somebody else abused by your spouse, and that's why you're powered up, just please reach out to people in our church family who you trust. We need to help you with that. You know, if you are being abused by your spouse or even your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever that works out, you're being, you need to reach out. We're not, don't stay in that space. You are not alone. If you're not talk to us, talk to the police. There will be no space for that. We want to free, you need courage. Maybe not see us at the end of this meeting because that's awkward. Our numbers, get, get in contact with us through the church office or talk to someone you know. We, we want to get alongside you. Really, really important. I said at the beginning that marriage, with its complementary nature of man and woman, is a gospel-proclaiming relationship within a community. It images, it points to the relationship between Jesus and the church. Just as the wife, by faith, willingly submits to her husband, so the church, by faith, willingly and joyfully submits to her husband, Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing, church. Collectively, by faith, submitting to the teaching of Jesus. Come on. That's what we're supposed to be echoing here. Husbands, in faith, are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her to make her holy and clean Washed by the cleansing of God's words. One last thing for husbands, then we're going to land. Husbands, trying to look you in the eye. We are supposed to be living in such a way that we create the space for our wives to grow into by faith. Husbands, we're supposed to be creating a space in life 
so that our wives, by faith, can grow into that space. Guys, that's, that's our job. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Submission is a response to that space that we create. It is not a demand we can make. You got that, husbands? Can that be the final word? I Liz, think I want to just comment on that as well. For women, I just want to say the issue is not can I trust my husband, it's can I trust God. And I think we think of submission is I need to trust my husband. Unless I trust him whole, totally, I can't submit to him. Actually, we need to trust God that he is able to lead our husbands to lead us well. Can I trust God? Both are faith issues for both the husband and the wife. Can I submit myself to God? Can I trust him? Liz, why don't you pray for us? We've overrun this morning just to land us in. If you're able to, please can you stand?